0: I'd like to welcome everybody to the Recovery Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Mike Schmidt. So before we begin, Recovery Speaks is a podcast about recovery, not addiction. What we want to do is help break the stigma surrounding substance use disorder and talk to everyday individuals about how recovery works in their life. This month, we have Justin. Justin is a longtime friend of mine and somebody in recovery from substance use disorder. Now, he's a therapist. This month, we get to hear his story. Let's get into it. So, Justin, welcome to the Recovery Speaks podcast. It's uh, like I said, it's it's awesome to have you here. It's kind of like you know, from the west coast to the east
1: coast, Justin's back. Uh, how do you feel? I feel good, man. It feels good to be back. It feels good to be here with you. This is a moment, man. You're mm-hmm. interviewing me for a podcast. Yeah, who would have thought? Right, and we and we
0: and again we know each other. You know, we know each other from the past. How long have we known each other?
1: So let's see. It's about to be 2023. We met in summer 2020. Yes. Right. So about like two and a half years. Yeah. About then, I I,
0: I probably, if I really looked back and like my phone history and everything, I could probably find the exact day. And actually, I could because you sent me a text the day I met you <laughs> and then I never responded to you until like six months later. Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> but it's Mike ghosted me. Yeah. It's all right though. Yeah.
0: But, you know, it,
1: it wasn't you, it was me. Yeah, that's what I'll uh, say. So, Justin, where are you from? I'm from Monmouth County, New Jersey. Born and raised in a small town called Fairhaven in between Red Bank and Rumson. I uh, grew up there, went to school there. And then for college, I went to New York. I went to St. John's in Queens, New York. I lived out there for some time. And then after that, came back to Jersey, and I've lived in Monmouth County up until last year Mm. so it's been a year since i relocated out west so i'm now a resident of southern california is there a weather shock right now yeah man it's even like raining you know the fact that it's raining and like it's a bit colder you know but i actually enjoy it you know especially around the holidays like Mm. it's it's a vibe you know but i'll be happy to go back to the sunshine
0: absolutely yeah I wish I was coming with you. One day. Yeah.
1: Um, so
0: when did you first start using?
1: Oof. So when you say using, you know, I define that as the first time I put a substance in my body, mm-hmm. right? And that was the summer of eighth grade going into high school. And, you know, we were at a park, and it was with some friends, and my f- one friend had stole a bottle of rum from his mom's liquor cabinet. And we came with this idea to, to drink in the park on this summer night, and we passed the bottle around and got wasted mm. <laughs> and kind of just stumbled around the town and acted a fool, you know, and it was something that I was scared to do, but also was scared not to because of how I might be perceived. So it was like the typical peer pressure thing. And I did it. And that was the first time I put a substance in my body. So, What
0: what was that like when you you know, your first time getting wasted? Because you said you were scared. Were you scared, like, during the process?
1: Yeah. Like, I I don't think I actually wanted to do it Mm -hmm. at the time, you know. Um, But there was also something appealing about it where I felt like I was, like, doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing. And the whole, like, rebel thing. So... Actually, being under the influence was a weird feeling because, uh, like, I lost felt like I lost control of myself, but also felt I can remember just feeling like that sort of bliss, like that numbness that was appealing. I was like, "Oh, okay," like this is something that I could I could enjoy, you know. And yeah, that's where it started, man. So, a summer of eighth grade going into high school. Yeah, so I want to say it was. Fourteen yeah. or so. Yeah, fourteen. And how long did that go on
0: for? Like how did it how did it progress?
1: <sighs> yeah. So the progression, right? So it that's how it started. Drinking on the weekends in high school, we would party a lot and you know, started smoking weed in that freshman year of high school and became like a weekend thing is how it started, but mm-hmm. then like we started smoking weed after school. Yeah. We would smoke weed before school. We me smoke weed during school. Right, you know, like the progression and the experimentation too, you know, like people would be like, oh, I got some Coke, you know, I got some mushrooms, you know, I got some ecstasy, right? So there was a lot of just like, oh, yeah, you got something different. I want to try it. Let's see mm-hmm. what that's like, you know, and, and it just felt like the normal thing to do at the time. It was like a party and yeah. go to concerts and do all this crazy stuff. And You know, I felt like that's like what people in high school did, you know, and it felt like I was, I guess I had a level of control over it because I was still going to school, but looking back and looking at the progression, right, I can see how it really was affecting me. Yeah. Like my grades, right? Like my grades like went downhill in high school, you know, and just like my... Overall, I think motivation, you know, like I can remember like just coming home from school sometimes and not doing anything, mm-hmm. you know, and like not, you know, like I was like running track when I first started high school and like I stopped doing that. And it definitely affected me, you know, and it, and it kind of became my persona in mm-hmm. a way, you know, like, oh, like I can like do drugs and party and this is how I can like feel connected to people and make friends and feel a part of. And it really just overtook my life. Mm. Yeah. So how long did that go on for? So, you know, the partying and, and all that stuff lasted all throughout high school and into college as well. You know, that first year of college, when I went away, there was a lot of partying. And that's just what people were doing, you know, on the weekends. But things changed that first summer. I came home from college, my first summer break. I remember I came home and some of my friends who were home were doing like this new drug and they were sniffing it and they would just like completely be just like checked out, you know, Mm. nodding and they just were like out of it. And I was curious, you know, I'm like, wow, that looks like a good time. And this was in the height of like the opiate epidemic you Mm. know where there were just opiates everywhere and that's what they were using um it was oxy so i remember the first time i tried an oxy and i remember feeling sick throwing up stumbling everywhere but i can also remember feeling this level of euphoria i'd never experienced before with any other substance i had tried and yeah man that kind of just like set the a standard for how I wanted to feel all mm. the time. Once I felt that feeling, it felt like I found the answer. Like, this is the feeling I've been looking for and I want to feel like this all the time. You know, this is this is it. This is bliss. This is how I want life to be. And that's when the ugly side of addiction, we mm. can call, started. Yeah.
0: You want to tell us a little bit about the ugly side? <laughs>
1: Man, yeah, I can tell you. Or even what that means to you. Yeah, so there's this line, I believe, that people cross, right, where, you know, like people say things like you're functioning or whatever, but I think, you know, like it's progressive, right? Mm-hmm. And there's these stages, and there's these stages where, like, you're partying and doing things, but you're also, like, able to tend to other areas of yeah. your life somewhat, and you're able to kind of just get by. Yeah, balance right? it. Right, right. Or at least convince yourself somewhat and appear to others like you're doing so. But then there's this line we cross, right, where our addiction progresses in a way where those other priorities in our life start to really decrease, Mm. right? And the addiction just takes hold and all our time and energy starts to go towards that. And we start to experience consequences from using, right? That's one of the biggest things, People who have addiction problems and people who don't, the difference is consequences, right? There's consequences when we use. And we experience these consequences but continue to use despite those consequences. And we also will go to greater lengths, right, to achieve the high that we're looking for, right? So what that means, um, you know, stealing money. Right. Like I remember stealing money from my mother, um, lying, just would lie all the time about what I'm doing, where I'm going, you know, things like that. Um, And just really noticing that, like, that became the center point of my life, you know, and legal issues, you know, getting arrested, car accidents, Mm. right? I was in numerous car accidents, man. I was thinking about it on the way here because it's raining. I was remembering a time I was on the Garden State Parkway. And i was high and i spun out on the road mm. you know and i was hydroplaning and you know i didn't have any injuries thank god but just reckless behavior man reckless you know like life endangering things yeah. you know and just taking these risks just so you can achieve that high you know that's that's the ugly side of addiction And so
0: that went on until how long?
1: So let's see. So that summer I came home. So I was around 19 at that time. And from 19 to 22 was when my addiction really progressed, right? So that's, it was about three years, you know. And in that time it progressed like really fast, right? Mm -hmm. When the opiates were introduced, is when things got pretty gnarly. So, yeah, it was about a three-year time span, you know. Um, And at the end of that three years is when things really hit the fan. And the, uh, the other part of the ugly side of addiction, too, is not so much those external consequences, but the internal ones as well. And that's, I think, really what got me, where you just feel like you have this like this empty person you know and you get these moments of clarity when you look at yourself and look at your life and you're like man how did we get here you know like what are you doing like this is not what you were supposed to do with yourself man like that you were raised to do better and just that feeling of like self-loathing you know the feeling of being hopeless despair like you're just you're trapped in this life there's no way out and then feeling like not waking up the next day is like a better option than Mm. the life you're living, you know, and I can remember those, those feelings a lot. Right. So that was a big contributor, you know, to me getting to the point of surrender, you know, the point of desperation, you know, where it's like, You don't want to live like this anymore but you also don't know how to stop living like that but there's this like small small piece of you inside of you that believes like there's this possibility still that like you could have something different right and that that was there it was very small and minimal but it was there and what happened was i got arrested again And at this point, I had to kind of come clean to my parents, you know, and because they were aware, like stuff was going on, but not to the extent, you know, so that night, you know, when I told my mom, like what I was using and what was going on, I still remember the look in her face. She was horrified, you Mm. know, and she said, we got to get you help. Right. And that was something that I had really uh, battled with was being able to ask for help, Mm. you know, like... I try to convince myself I don't need help if, you know... I got this. I got this, right? That's what I was just running with the whole time. Famous last words. Exactly, right? Crashing cars, getting arrested. I'm good. I got this. I'll be fine, right? But there was... Underneath that was a fear. Yeah. A fear of, like, you know, if I admit that I have a problem and I need help, like, what does that mean about me? Mm -hmm. You know, that it felt like this weakness, right? And I was always trying to convince myself, like, I could handle it. So i finally kind of put my hands up and she said we got to get you help so that night i was driven to a detox you know at 22 years old it was december you know looking back it was like this month you know 2012 so that's about 10 years ago uh where i went to a detox center Mm -hmm. and that's where things changed a lot
0: how did it feel when you finally asked for help and you were able to, you
1: know, have somebody be willing to help you. You know, looking back, I think it was actually relieving. Yeah. You know, because I could finally, like. Get honest. Yeah. Like, just get honest with myself, with someone else. And because I knew I didn't have this deep. Yeah. You know, and to finally be like, listen, I'm, I'm messed up. And to have, like, that door open where it's like, all right, well, let's see what we can do now you know so there was like this shift that happened
0: so you went the detox where did you go to detox what area
1: it was up north it was in essex county um and it was rough man <laughs> it was rough it was winter time you know and i was in this detox man and they they put us in this groups and They're like, tell us how you feel, what's going on. I'm like, what is happening here? Yeah. You know, and I can remember just feeling very, very uncomfortable, Mm. right? But what else happened there was that I felt identification Mm. for the first time. Because another thing in my head is that I convinced myself was that no one knows what this is like except me. Yeah, I'm the one who's struggling. They don't know what I'm going through, right? This is... Just something I'm facing. And then you go in these groups and people start sharing about their stories. And you're like, wow, you felt like that too? You did that too? You stole from your mother too? You got arrested too? And that feeling of loneliness, right, dissipated a bit where it was like, okay, I'm not alone here. There's other people dealing with this. And it created a a hope. Mm. You know, there's a sense of hope I felt from that. Yeah. So... There was that and then the other part too was in treatment is they brought speakers in from outside and they also brought you to outside meetings 12-step meetings okay. so that's where I first experienced you know that program and that created a shift in me too you know because hearing that message and seeing those people was like mind-blowing because these are people who had been in recovery for five 10, 15 years and you could see it. Yeah. You know, like they told their story, but you could see that they had this happiness to them. They had this glow to them. And they're celebrating and they're hugging each other and they're laughing. And I was like, wow, you stopped using drugs and you're happy. Yeah. You're having a good time. Yeah. How do you do that? Because I was always trying to figure that out. Even in my addiction, I can remember like trying to stop on my own, but just feeling like I couldn't because even though like those physical symptoms would go away... There was that like mental and spiritual part Mm -hmm. that I couldn't fulfill. Yeah, I couldn't figure out how to do that. So seeing that something tangible in front of my face was like, it was mind blowing, man. It 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 changed my whole perspective. It it gave me, it gave me hope that it was possible. Mm.
0: Was that the when you went to that detox center that December? Did you stay clean
1: after that? I did not. I wish I could say I did. But I didn't, you know, Um, and looking back, right, like the reality is, is that I I was, I was, I was partially ready, but Mm. I wasn't completely ready to surrender. Yeah. Right. So when I got out, I went to meetings and, you know, I was with this group of people from that treatment center and we hung out. But I still had this like voice in my head that was like, Justin, you can still get high. Yeah, and I had convinced myself. Well, because I was in recovery now for a little bit, I knew a bit about recovery. I could figure out how to do it without consequences. Yeah, like, I could mix them together, and I could just use on the weekends and do yeah. you know all that stuff, right? So I gave it another shot. And how'd what... that work out? <laughs> well, let me tell you, bro. Yeah. Once you know about recovery and you have knowledge of it, it it will ruin your high. Because that's what I experienced, man. Because ignorance is bliss and I could no longer act like I didn't know. So I would use and I would think about how I was ruining my life, Yeah, you know? And I would think about how I was ruining, you know, other people in my lives, like our relationships and... I would think about recovery, you know, and I'd be like, "No, you know better now. Like yeah. you can do better. You know now that there's a way out of this." And you experience it and you're still ch- now you're making a choice. Yeah. You're choosing this, right? So I would I would get high and I would be miserable and I would feel dirty and disgusting and that's when I experience a true spiritual bottom, I would say, during that relapse. Experiencing that it brought me to my knees and The thing was, I would still go to meetings during that time, and and that's the pretty amazing thing is that in meetings, you're welcome no matter where you're at in your life, you know, if you're using, if you're not. And I still would hear the hope and hear the message. (laughs) And I had this, you know, experience, man, where I decided to pray one day. You know, and and I had never really prayed for my heart. You know, I would pray not to get in trouble, to get out of consequences. <laughs> foxhole those prayers. foxhole prayers yeah. would do those all the time, not to get pulled over. But this was a prayer of, like, I need help. Please help me. Yeah. I didn't know who I was praying to, what I was praying to, but I knew that I was going to die at 22. You know, and that my mom would find me on the bathroom, and there was that small piece of me that, like, knew that didn't have to be my story. Yeah. so you know, I, I prayed, man, and I feel like that that prayer was answered, you know, because something changed in my spirit, you know, I felt like this this increased sense of hope, and I felt like, all right, you can do this, you know, like, we got some momentum now. And that was March 24th, 2013, you know, that was the last time I used And that obsession was lifted, man. You know, and we talk about spiritual awakenings in recovery. And there's something that happens to us where there's this spiritual shift that happens inside of us that we can't really explain. But it just happens where we just feel different. We look at things differently, right? And we feel this hope for ourselves. And we come out of this, like, place of despair. And that's what happened, man. You know, so after that... I didn't go back to a treatment center or detox. I just went to meetings and I started, you know, getting connected with people and actually talking to people because I would Mm -hmm. go to meetings and I would just like be in the back and like not really interact with people after the meeting. I'm like, like out, you know, so I'd actually talk to people and come early and I would help set up the chairs and all that stuff. And, um, you know, I really gave it an honest shot which is different than when I first got a treatment. Like, I went to meetings, didn't get a sponsor, didn't do step work, didn't do any of that. So I said, this time I'm going to try this thing for real Mm -hmm. and give it a real shot.
0: Cool. Yeah. So how long after you got clean, what brought you back to going to school? (sighs)
1: So (laughs) going back to school was never part of my plan. Yeah. And that's the thing about recovery, man, is that, you know, you meet people who are going to encourage you. and you start going in this direction that you don't really plan. And thank God for that. Like, we don't go in the direction that we plan for, Mm. right? Like, we kind of get guided, and we don't really know where we're going, but we trust that we're going somewhere. And people would say to me, like, Justin, you're young, you're intelligent, you got, like, your whole life ahead of you. Like, you need to go back to school, man. And I was like, nah, that is not in my plan. That's not what I'm trying to do right? But when I sat back and thought about it, I'm like, they're right, you know? Like, what What am I scared of, right? And the thing was, I was scared of not being able to do it. I was scared of being rejected, mm. you know, if I applied to school. I was scared of not being able to handle the success and the responsibility, right? So, that was always my story in, in life, man, is that I would allow fear to control me, and I would stay stuck in places because I was scared of what of taking that next step and not being able to handle what came with that. So I would not invest in myself and recovery. When you get around certain people, man, they're going to like, they're going to push you. Mm. Right. And that's what happened. So I applied to school in 2016. So at that time I was about 26. So I'd been clean for about four years or so. And I got accepted, got accepted into school, man. I started going back to school. And at that time I was working in treatment. So I was working full time, I was going to school, I was doing meetings, you know, I had this full life now that recovery had afforded me. And it got a little hectic at times, Yeah, you know, because it's like, oh, this is what I always wanted, you know, this full life, I'm being productive, I'm doing these things. But then like that fear is still there where it's like, oh, this is too much, I got to drop out, I got to quit my job, and just felt like I couldn't handle it sometimes. But I kept going one foot in front of the other, you know? And I'll say this, I graduated school with a 4.0, mm. right? And I was able to do that because of recovery. Because what would I do? I would go early. I would stay late after classes. I would ask questions. You know, I would share during classes. And these were all things I learned in recovery, right? It's like, when I was younger, I used to get good grades in school. And I can remember... I stopped trying at a certain point because I didn't think it was cool to get good grades because I was always focused on, like, what other people thought about me and how I perceived. So in my head, I'm like, yeah, being a good student is not cool, so I'm not going to do that. And going back to school as, like, an adult in recovery was such a different experience because I'm like, no, I'm doing this for me, and Mm. I'm going to give this, like, a true effort, you know? And I did. It took three and a half years. I did it part-time. But I graduated, and um, that was in 2020, with my master's in social work. Yeah, pretty awesome.
0: You want to tell us a little bit about your job?
1: Yeah, so like I said, I worked in treatment, and I started working in treatment when I had about six months clean. You know, I was early in recovery. I started working as like a tech, right? And I kind of worked my way up. I became a case manager there and then I started working as a, a counselor intern and that was quite experience but I I grew, I grew a lot you know I worked in treatment from age 22 to age 30 wow yeah so 8 years 8 years I was working there and you know I went decided to go back to school while I was there got my degree in social work and then I got licensed. So you have to take an exam after you get your degree. So I became licensed by the state, and then I was eligible to start working as a therapist. So around November... Yeah, it was November of 2020, I want to say, right? Um, Is when I left treatment and started working as a therapist, which is what I do now. So... Yeah, I mean, what what would you want to know about about that particularly?
0: What kind of uh, you know, what kind of things do you deal with find yourself dealing with in that field?
1: A lot, a lot of different things. Yeah. So, working in treatment, I was working with like mostly younger adults, like 18 to 30 something with addiction problems. Of yeah. course, there were other issues they dealt with too, but that was like the main focus. So, working now, As a therapist, I've expanded the populations I work with. Mm -hmm. So I've been working with adolescents, you know, people who are uh, in their teenage years, you know, still working with young adults, working with older adults, and also working with people with different issues, right? Mm -hmm. So people just who have, um, you know, just mood disorders, uh, depression, anxiety, personality disorders, you know, relationship challenges. I do couples therapy. I've worked with families. I do group therapy as well. So there's a lot of, there's a, there's a spectrum of different issues that people deal with, but there's also a lot of threads and a lot of overlap you Mm -hmm. see, you know, and you see a lot of similarities with people and, and their challenges, you know. Um, But it's been pretty cool to kind of like, like for example, working with teenagers, Mm -hmm. right? People who are, in that time frame that i was at when you start experimenting and you're looking for acceptance and like you're finally trying to figure out who you are and being able to have conversations with these people about what that's like you know and and helping to guide them through that process and for them to process it because when i look back i'm like man i really could have used that yeah. you know like that would have been really helpful for me and not to say that would have prevented anything but i think it could have just been something that opened up my mind a bit you know because it's such it's a tough time man and and people struggle a lot during that,
0: mm-hmm. that
1: time period of life so it's almost it feels in a way like it can be preventative in some in some ways
0: how would you say like your experience in recovery has helped you being a therapist
1: <sighs> i mean it's 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 the core, I think, of, like, how I move through life, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and how I view life, right? Because recovery is a journey inside yourself, man. You know, it's not about, like, just not using drugs. It's about looking at you and finding out, like, how did I end up here? You know, like, what... What happened, right? Going back. Getting the black box. Yeah, man. Going back to the, the scene of the crime, you know, I'm like what went wrong here, yeah. you know, and, and you do some self-discovery and you look at your life and you start to process things and you look at the way you're living now and you look at the things that you struggle with, you know, the behaviors, the ways of thinking, right? And it offers a way to look at yourself and do something different, right? So, I come from that foundation, right? And I'm, and not to say that, like, I apply that to my clients, but that it kind of offers me this perspective on life, you know, because it's like I have gone there myself, right? So I feel not like it qualifies me, but more so like it, it just, it adds something more, mm-hmm. you know, where you can see things in other people, right? And you can recognize things. And like some of the concepts from recovery, you can apply yeah. just in life in general, right? Like we say that all the time, like there's things in recovery that everyone can use, you know? So there's a lot that I pull from that and, and apply in my professional life.
0: So, you know, so the million dollar question would be, what would you say the biggest difference in between therapy and actually working the steps with a sponsor would be?
1: Mm. Yeah, it's a good question. So. There is some overlap with that, right? When you look at it, like, conceptually, right? Like, you're this guide for someone, this guide of, like, self-discovery. And you do it through different ways, and I think, like, 12 Steps is a bit more structured. But for me, the main difference is that in my work, that's my work, mm-hmm. which I'm getting paid for, right? And, and that's not, like, my main motivator. Like, I got to pay bills, obviously, but... You know, there's that aspect to it, right? And then also in therapeutic work, there is a there's there's boundaries in the sense of like there's a, only so much I can share about myself personally, mm-hmm. right? Because the focus is on the client. So there's not a whole lot of self disclosure from a therapist's point of view. In recovery, working with someone through step work. You're not getting paid for it Mm -hmm. financially, you know, so, but there's other benefits that you get, you know, from just helping someone out, you know, in your own recovery. And it reaffirms, like, that you're this vision of hope, that you have to continue on your path because you can help other people in the same way that you were helped. So there's that, and then there's also the aspect of, like, being able to connect with a sponsee, right? Where it's like, you know, the things that they struggle with and work on, you can identify with mm-hmm. some of those things and you can share about them with that person and you guys can connect with that. So I think there's more depth in recovery with the relationship in some aspects where, it, you know, like there's more that I can share about myself personally, right? That I think adds to that relationship. Awesome.
0: Again, Justin, thank you for being on, you know, coming on Recovery Speaks. And before, again, before we go, I have to ask you, what is it that you do personally for
1: self care? Oh, self care. Yeah, exactly. Besides sitting by the pool man. in California. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of self care out there. Yeah. yeah, you know, the self care thing, man, is so important. And, and my definition of what that is has evolved a lot over time, right? Because I got like my basics, I do, where like, Um, try to be active physically you know try to eat well and like take care of myself in those ways and and be outside and and all that is really important but also too what i look at as self-care too is almost like you being able to return to your original self like when you were a kid you know like doing that like when we were kids man we used to just like laugh and enjoy life and just be happy and then we get older and life becomes so serious and like morbid sometimes and like we struggle right and sometimes it's hard to find that lightness but like for me self care today is like being able to just like laugh sometimes Mm -hmm. you know whether it's by myself and I'm watching a movie or a tv show or on my phone or i'm with friends and just being able to just have that laughter man where you're just like all like those worries can go to the side and can just be present in a moment and just experience like pure joy you know that we used to have so much as kids that it's lost so i look for those moments when i can experience them and for me like that is self-care to that. awesome all
0: right justin thank you for being on here it was again it's always a pleasure to see you all
1: right thank you
0: Recovery Speaks is presented by Hope Sheds Light, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to support individuals and families impacted by addiction and share the hope of recovery. If you like what you heard, follow Hope Sheds Light on social media. If you want to support Hope Sheds Light, go to hopeshedslight.org and donate, sign up for one of our events, or offer to volunteer. If you have any questions for our guest or our host, shoot me an email at mike at hopeshedslight.org. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you all next month.